The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. So today's reading will be from Isaiah chapter uh, 9, verses 2 through 7, and it'll be up on the screen as well. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them, a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, atonement, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The year was 1998, and Game Informer had come out with a review of Zelda Arcarena of Time for Nintendo 64. They claimed it was the best Zelda ever. And so as I'm reading through this review, I realize I have to play this game. There were only multiple problems with me getting this game, though. A, I was in ninth grade and I was broke. Um, B, I didn't have a Nintendo 64. I didn't have the right system to play it. So not only did I need Zelda, but I needed the system. And I knew that from my mom, she had a very kind of uh, set number, and I was not going to be able to get Christmas presents that would make the system in the game. But my dad was a little more fluid. Every year, you never knew what you were going to get. You might get a pocket knife for Christmas. You might get a TV for Christmas. And so, November 20th, I started campaigning for a Nintendo 64 and a Zelda game. And in my mind, I was pretty sly about it. I was kind of subtle. But in reality, I was obnoxious, right? So I would cut out magazine articles and send them to my dad. We would talk a couple times a week on the phone. And every time, I'm just telling him, you know, have you heard about Zelda? Do you remember Zelda? Remember Zelda? Just again and again, relentless in my hope for our creative time and Nintendo 64. Well, Christmas rolls around, and there's a tree much like this one, and I see a gift with my name on it, but it's not big enough to be a Nintendo. My dad gives it to me, he goes, here you go, son, and I open it up, and sure enough, there is Zelda, and he looks at me, and he goes, that's the game you wanted, right? So now you can play it on your Nintendo 64, and I was crushed, right? So close, I've got what I want, but I don't have the machine to play it, and then my dad breaks out laughing. And he says, no, I'm just kidding. I got you the Nintendo 64 too. And he pulls that out from behind the TV. Well, the real joke actually was on my dad's girlfriend, who was the most excited for me to get this gift because the truth was my dad had bought this Nintendo and Zelda game a month ago. And every night before he went to bed, he would play my Nintendo and my Zelda game. All right? <laughs> and so I plug it in. I see the save. And the first save says, Daddy-o. He beat Zelda before I did, and my dad's girlfriend was just ecstatic that he wouldn't have a Nintendo to play anymore, right? (laughs) 
So we all have expectations, and especially around Christmas time, I think those expectations only multiply, right? Around Christmas, we expect maybe presents. We have expectations on what our family time is going to look like. We have expectations on what's going to happen with our jobs and with bonuses, and they just kind of start to pile up on us. And we're in the season of Advent, which is called waiting, right? And as we wait, that's where those expectations really kind of get heavy. That's where they really become real. And our scripture that was read earlier came from Isaiah. And I want to back that up a little bit with some history. Because Isaiah didn't come in a vacuum. No, it came and it was spoken to the people of Judea. And Judea was once a part of a much larger nation called Israel. And those were the people of God. God had given them their own land. He had given them a place that he said is flowing with milk and honey, which doesn't really translate today, so we're going to say good schools and low property taxes, right? God had given them this nation, and for a long time, they had really had status. Scripture tells us that kings and queens would come from all over the world just to see the sights in Israel. But eventually what happens is they start coming up with their own ideas of how to live as a country. They start saying, you know, we're cool with God, but those other gods are pretty awesome too. So what if we just kind of pick and choose what we want? And so they start doing that. And so they're still worshiping God, but they're worshiping others. And they stop loving their neighbor as themselves. Isaiah actually starts off with chapter 1, God telling people, stop worshiping. Stop praying. Stop going to church. Seriously, this is in Isaiah 1. He goes, you guys have missed the point of what you're supposed to be doing. And then in uh, verse 1, chapter 17, he says, so learn to do good. Start taking care of the orphan and the oppressed and the widow. Learn from me and I will teach you a new way, he says. And what ends up happening in Israel is that their brokenness, their decisions, end up ripping the country in two. There is the northern kingdom, which stays Israel, and then the southern kingdom, which is Judea. And the northern kingdom actually gets end up wiped out by the Assyrians. And Judea is looking up, and they're like, oh, are we next? And so they're not sure if they're actually going to survive. And Isaiah is writing to them. And what we find in Isaiah is, yep, you're going to survive this. And the people breathe a sigh of relief. But then he says, but then another country is going to come, and you're not going to survive them. You're going to lose everything. You're going to lose your land. You're going to lose your status. You're going to lose your families. But then he says, but God is going to send a hero one day, and he's going to save you. And that's what that scripture was talking about, right? So from Isaiah again, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, and the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forevermore. God had promised a Savior. He had promised someone who was going to come and restore Israel to its rightful place. But Isaiah says, you're going to have to wait a little bit. And it wasn't waiting the 40 days I had to wait between when I wanted Zelda and Christmas. No, they would wait centuries. A hundred years goes by, 200 years goes by, 300 years goes by, 400 years goes by, and they're still waiting on this Messiah. And the longer they wait, the more expectations they have. 
what he's going to do. When he comes back, he's going to give us back all of our land. When he comes back, he's going to kick all of our enemies in the butt. When he comes back, we're going to be strong again and respected again. We're going to be back in the glory days of Israel. And they have all these expectations of what this Messiah is going to do. And then Jesus shows up, not born from the right family, not in the right city, not saying, let's go kill all of the Romans, but instead he says, no, I'm going to teach you how to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, true greatness isn't how much wealth you have, how much power you have. He says, no, true greatness is the servant of all. And the people are like, no, this isn't the expectation. This isn't what we were waiting for. And that's why so much tension happens with Jesus in the New Testament, because they had expectations of what he was supposed to be, of what was supposed to happen, and then God did something different. I think all of us struggle with those kinds of expectations, right? Maybe it's expectations around work, and we think, well, I've got to get this sales quota. Maybe it's expectations around our family, right? If only my mom would do this, if only my son would do this, if only these people would get their lives together, our family would be okay. Maybe it's expectations we put on ourselves. Maybe it's at school, we need a certain grade, we need this person to like us. The list is endless. What we want to see happen, what we expect to happen. And yet those expectations can become poison to our veins. I really struggled with this a couple years ago. So as a pastor, we have the three B's which we judge ourselves by. Butts, budgets, and buildings, right? How many butts, how many people you had in the seats on a Sunday? how big of a building you have, or how big of a budget you have. The last two I've cared less about. I understand having a budget is important. Please stay for the meeting. We need to vote. Uh, we need to talk about where we're going as a church. Buildings can be fine, but specifically how many people had gathered to worship. Every Sunday became harder and harder and harder for me. And I was meeting with a mentor pastor of mine, and he was trying to figure out what was going on. And I told him, quite frankly, I said, I dread Sundays. And dread's a strong word. And he said, well, why? And I'm like, because every Sunday what ends up happening is I expect a certain number of people to show up. And if they don't, I feel like I'm a failure. And even if we get that number, do you know what happens? The clock just resets. And we count down to the next Sunday. Because that's what happens with expectations, right? Even if we get exactly what we want, the clock's just going to reset on something else. It doesn't fulfill us. It doesn't give us peace. And as I'm talking to this pastor, he starts talking about, you know what, Josh, I struggled with that exact same thing for a long time in my ministry. And then God and I had a conversation about the difference between expectations and expectancy. Expectations are, I need this very specific thing to happen. Expectancy is, no, I'm going to expect something wondrous to happen because who I'm trusting in. I'm not in control of this very narrow thing is what's going to go. No, instead, I'm expecting something good to happen, but I don't necessarily know what that good thing is going to be. And as we look through Scripture, we have a God who says, I want you to live expectantly on me. I want you to trust me. I want you to have hope that I'm going to do something good. Hope that I love you. Hope that you're my child and I want good for you. And that might look different than what you expect, but you can trust me that it will be good. 
right? And as we do that, our lives start to change. As we talk through expectations versus expectancy, well, expectations come with a certain amount of fear, right? Because if you don't get what you expect, well, that can be terrifying, right? If I don't get healthy, if I don't get this job, if I don't get this grade, if this person doesn't like me, and that fear just starts to build up in our head. At the same time, expectancy leads towards hope. Right? Scripture tells us that have you not known, have you not heard, this is later in Isaiah, the Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint, he does not grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases his strength. For even the youths shall fall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But for those who wait, and another translation of this is for those who hope on the Lord, he shall renew their strength. They will mount on the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Scripture tells us that as we wait on the Lord, expectantly, hopefully, he says, I'm going to renew your strength. He says, in that waiting period, sometimes you're going to soar. Sometimes you're going to run. Sometimes you're just going to walk. But each step of the way, we're going to go together And we're going to see what God does. And he goes, trust me. Try me. I promise I have something good for you. Expectation gives us fear. Expectancy gives us hope. But it's even better than that. Because expectations come with a certain amount of control. Expectancy comes with trust. The bigger I have expectations on something, the more I want to micromanage it. If I can just get my wife to do this, we're going to be fine. If I can just get my coworkers to do this, we'd finally be good. If my family would just figure it out, if I look at the spreadsheet one more time, the numbers are going to be different. And we start to try to control things because we want a specific expectation. We want a specific outcome. And it's neurotic. Because while as humans we have a small part to play in what happens in our lives, God doesn't want us to be passive. He wants us to be active. He wants us to be moving towards him, doing what we can do. He also realizes we're not God. I don't control my family. I don't control when the sun sets or when it rises. There is so much out of my control, and that leads back to fear, and yet in expectancy we can have trust. We don't have to micromanage everything. We don't have to try to hold the world together by our own strength. And we see this in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be a healing to your flesh and a refreshment to your bones. He says, you can trust me. And even in that season of waiting, on that journey, he says, you'll find healing and refreshment. Instead of being exhausted because you're trying to micromanage everything, he says, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to refresh you in this season. Which leads us to that last part of expectations versus expectancy. Expectations come with a level of burden, Right? You wake up in the morning and you're like, oh my gosh, we've got to do this again. 
the clock's still running. Everything's still on my shoulders. And it gets exhausting. It's terrifying. That burden, that weight that we try to carry. And yet what we find is that in expectancy, there's a level of freedom that God comes in and he says, I have something better for you. You don't have to carry that anymore. You can put it down. In fact, you can put it into my hands. Give it to me, he says. And I'm going to be able to do something beautiful with it. Scripture tells us in Corinthians, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. It goes on, he says, but no, now verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God says, I want to give you my Spirit, and my Spirit is going to teach something different for you. You're going to have hope, and you're going to be very bold in that hope. You don't have to go back to that old way of living. You don't have to carry that burden of trying to figure out every single situation, every single right outcome. Because quite frankly, even when I do get exactly what I want, typically it doesn't fill me up, right? It doesn't make me whole. But God's outcomes, God's control, that does start to fill me. That does start to connect things. And we see this in the story of Jesus, right? They had expectations of what the Savior was going to do. Power, prestige, money. The hero is going to make us strong again. And Jesus shows up. He's a carpenter. He's an outcast. He gathers outcasts. And then he dies. The hero isn't supposed to die, right? That can't be the expectation. And yet, what does he do with that death? When he dies, he pays for our sins. When he dies, he says, there is no longer a disconnect between heaven and earth anymore. No, I'm going to reconnect everything. Through his death, he does something miraculous. And then he comes back to life again. It wasn't our expectations. It wasn't what we thought would work. And yet, through that horrible tragedy, he does the most beautiful, powerful, loving, miraculous life-saving, connecting work. And in that, he says, if I can do that with my death, you can trust me with insert problem. You can trust me with your family who's sick. He says, you can trust me with your finances. He says, you can trust me with your family or with your house or with your schooling or with your future. He says, you don't have to carry the burden of trying to figure out every perfect move, every perfect expectation. He says, I want to teach you a new way where you get freedom and hope and trust. And you get to get excited to find out what God is going to do through certain situations. Expectations are terrifying and they're a burden and our God is saying, no, I've got something better for you. He's got something better for me. And he proved it on the cross. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we come before you with all kinds of expectations. Lord, expectations for what we need to have to be happy. 
And when we don't get it, we get scared and we lash out. Or we become hoarders, or jealous, or scared and frozen. Lord, we are broken. And yet we come to a God who is so beautiful and so whole and so wise. And we humbly ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we ask for you to rescue us from this manic, never-ending cycle of expectation. Lord, to a framework where we're able to trust in you, enjoy your freedom, and enjoy your strength. Father, Lord, we ask for you to show up in every breath we take. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.